think that you would agree that particularly with uh, Valentine's Day coming up next Sunday, I said, I'm going to get it all in today. All right. So uh, I recognize that there are those that are here who are single and, uh, and praying for marriage. There are those that are... Uh, Karen, that was bold. She want to make sure everybody saw she's available. That's good. I appreciate that. Some of you are single, praying for marriage. Some of you are in marriages, trying to figure out how to get through marriage and do it right. And I want to tell you today with total confidence, God has a plan for marriage. So regardless of who you are, where you are in your life, or in whether you're married or not married or plan to be, or maybe you've never planned to be, but you're just going to pray for other marriages. I think the topic today is very relevant. Went to the story of a Baptist pastor who went into a Sunday school class of fourth graders. Went into the class and uh, it was his job to the pastor's job to go into the fourth grade class and talk to them that day about marriage. So I went to the class and uh, he decided to start off with a question just to engage the kids. And so he asked the question, he said, uh, what does God say about marriage? And the fourth graders were stunned for a moment. They're all thinking, trying to think what's the right answer. And a little boy spoke up and he said, I know, I know. The pastor said, yes, sir. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) Wrong answer, but... Today, I want to examine with you in the time we have remaining just a snapshot of God's blueprint for marriage. The comforting thing to me whenever we open God's Word to study it about marriage is... God is the creator and the architect. He is the creator of all things. He is the creator, our creator, but he is the architect of marriage. So if you want to know about marriage, as much as I may respect Dr. Phil, may I just suggest to you that instead we just go back to what the Bible says? Okay? I'm not saying everything he says is unbiblical. I'm just trying to say, let's just talk to the architect about the original plan, and I have a feeling if we do it God's way, we'll get God's blessing in our marriages. Amen. I want to start off with just two passages of Scripture, and I'm going to share with you a number of things today that not necessarily every one of them are are exposited directly from the Word of God, but I guarantee you they're truth. But I want to start off uh, with a couple of key Scriptures. The first Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. I'll read it to you if you have your device or your Bible. You'd like to turn to it. That's fine. The Scripture says, Jesus replied and said, Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Wow, you know, you could camp out in that verse for weeks, couldn't you? 
There is such truth there. The point that I want you to see is that Jesus, when speaking about marriage, immediately goes back to Genesis. When he speaks of his father creating male and female, and God's intent was to create marriage to becoming one. And he also adds the danger of anyone attempting to separate what God has joined together. That tells me when people, uh, when, a, when a man and a woman say, yes, I do, and they agree to the covenant of marriage, I believe that there is some serious spiritual. Have we got a kaleidoscope going on? Is that me? I thought maybe it was the Holy Spirit trying to say something here. All right, all right Tony, you just getting it right? All right, brother. It was the computer's mess up. It's always the computer mess up. All right. Let me give you another scripture, please. Forget the light show and watch me here. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. How long has it been since some of you have read through the Song of Solomon? Three of you are like, mm-mm, I don't even know where it is. It's in the Bible. I'll give you a hint. It's in the Old Testament. Read it sometimes. It reveals a lot about relationships and in particular romantic marriage relationships. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Listen to verse 14 and 15. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. How many of you are picking up real quick? This is a, this is a, a comment from husband to wife. You pick up on that? Catch for us the foxes. Listen to this. Catch for us the foxes, because the little foxes ruin the vineyards. Little foxes ruin the vineyards. Every one of us, our marriage relationship should be a vineyard. A vineyard is a place of fruitfulness. A vineyard is a place of pleasure and refreshment. But the scripture uses the analogy of the vineyard. And saying, it's not the big attack that you usually have to be careful of in a marriage relationship. It's not something like, wow, avalanche, explosive stuff. All those things happen. Amen. But he's, what we really have to be careful of are the little foxes. It's the little things that sneak in and undermine and many times can even destroy our marriage. So maybe some of the things I'm going to share with you today have to do with little things. Sometimes, frankly, they can become big things. I don't need to tell you the statistics. All of you are familiar with them. But marriage in America is in great decline. I am shocked when I read the statistics. I brought some with me. I'm not going to take the time. But I'm shocked that some of the recent statistics have come out suggesting the the view, the outlook, and the worldview that 18 to 30-year-olds have about marriage. The concept of marriage itself as a biblical truth is under attack. I told you I need need you to talk to me today. Now, having counseled, I've lost count. Many, many marriages through the years, both those who were in immediate threat, uh, those that were trying to restore and fix, as well as people just working on their marriages. Uh, I can truly say that one of the greatest contributors to damaging our marriage relationship comes when people make false assumptions about marriage. 
Sometimes we go into marriage with false assumptions. That's why premarital counseling is an absolute must. All right? And there's some tools that are used, can be used. It's one. Getting rid of unrealistic expectations and false assumptions is a key to a successful, happy home. So there are many false assumptions. I decided today I'm going to throw out to you five false assumptions. And when I get through with these, I'm going to run through them fairly quickly. So I want you to just take note of them. Five false assumptions about marriage. And secondly, I'm going to talk to you about four lies. Four lies that can destroy your marriage. All right? So let's talk about the assumptions first of all. Number one, the first assumption about marriage says this. You must feel love for your spouse for your marriage to be successful. Now, immediately, some of you are going to go, well, of course you need to feel love for your spouse. Of course. I suggest to you that that is a false and dangerous assumption. And the reason I say that is because most people simply do not understand what love is. Love is the most often heard word in America. But it is also probably the most commonly misunderstood word in America. We have love songs. We have love poems. We have love this, love that, love stories. Uh, we have reality TV shows about love. We have all this stuff that's supposed to tell us about love. But yet, love is a misunderstood word. There are too many misunderstandings about it. And here's what I mean. There are many people who simply think of love as an emotion, a a, a Hollywood-oriented romantic feeling. And I'll say to someone, well, why why are are you going to get married? Well, we're in love. Many times, they don't understand what being in love is. They're in heat. (laughs) They're in heat. Love. Love. They don't understand what love is. And if you think just because you have that, that good old feeling, that love and feeling, you think that's going to get you through 30 years of marriage, wake up and smell the coffee, all right? Because it ain't going to happen. You won't pass five years. So what do I mean? I mean that that is a false assumption. The only thing that works in marriage, according to God's plan, is to understand that true love, and when I say that, I mean the agapeo, the biblical kind of love, is a different type, a different kind of love. It is a love that involves your will. Notice I did not say your body. All of our dimensions get involved in marital love. But it begins and must rest on the bedrock of your will. Love, you've heard it said before, love is a choice. Listen, there's some people in this room that may not be very lovable to you. But you can love them. It's simply a choice. So I'm going to choose to love them. God's going to do the rest. But but I'm choosing to love them. Biblically based love is, and I know some of you may not understand what I mean by this. It is covenantal. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. I don't really like to think of marriage as a contract, but I do like to see it as a covenantal understanding and agreement. It's basically Carrie saying to me, me saying to her, honey, I'm committing myself to you. 
that fully understands and expects the fact that there are going to be days <clears throat> that she's going to wake up and I'm not going to be lovable or lovely or a whole host of other things. And she's going to continue to love me. Why? She made the decision 40 years ago to love me. She doesn't have to say, well, I don't know how I feel today about that. That's not an issue. It's not even up for discussion. How I feel about you. I made a commitment to you 40 years ago, honey. I chose to love you. And I believe that the love of God is put into our heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans teaches us. And I just have to walk out that decision to love. Love is a choice. 1 John 3.18 says it well in a newer translation that says this. Let's stop saying we love people. Let's really love them and show them by our actions. Yes and amen. I've had it up to here with just love talk. Because it can be very shallow. It can be superficial. And I know people, I've watched them in even marriage counseling situations. They sit there talking all nice and, and telling each other, oh, I really do love you. And then they turn around, leave the room. And next thing you know, they're in a huge explosive fight. And, and not walking and showing love at all. Listen, love isn't, yes, biblical love, covenantal love will involve emotions. It will engage even at a romantic level. But it is based on the bedrock of the will and a decision. It is a decision that is based not upon what's convenient. It is not a decision based upon what other people think you should do. It is a decision based upon the revelation of God's will for your life. And when you know what God's will is for your life, then you can agree to marry based upon that. And that covenant will carry you a long ways. Can everybody say amen? amen. Number two, the second false assumption is Having children, how many of you have heard this? Having children is going to improve my marriage. Yeah, we got problems now. Listen, we got some things going on, but we fight all the time and we got issues. But listen, it's all right because we're pregnant. <laughs> we're pregnant, and I know that's going to solve the problems. And once the kids arrive, everything's going to be great in my household. I cringe when I hear that assumption. It is false. It is probably from the pits of hell. It is not true. I thank God that children are a heritage of the Lord. But if you think that children are going to fix what's wrong in your marriage, if children all of a sudden arriving on the scene are going to make everything feel good, it doesn't... How long does it last? I I don't even know if it lasts. How long does that last? It's great having kids. I wouldn't trade mine for anything. I particularly like the grandkids, and I've been thinking in in hindsight, I wish I would have skipped having the kids. I want to go straight to grandfather to skip the other part altogether. Yeah. That's what I've decided. And there's some grandparents here who agree with me. I know that. (laughs) Listen, having children is a blessing from the Lord, but it ain't going to solve your marriage problems. If anything, it's going to cause unsanctified character to rise to the top. You try to stay up all night with screaming kids and see how spiritual you are the next morning. (laughs) Am I right? Reject that false assumption. Number three, another false one. Arguments and disagreements are fatal to my marriage. 
I have people who tell me all the time, well, we're getting a divorce. Why? We're just always arguing. So? <laughs> I remember, I know I'm dating myself, but there was a wonderful Bible teacher back in the, in the days of the charismatic renewal of the late 60s and early 1970s. And there's a great Bible teacher named Bob Mumford. Some of you old enough to remember that name. I remember Bob used to say in his seminars on marriage, he said, listen, I always ask couples this question. Are you fighting? They look, you know, do we admit this or not? Are you fighting currently? Are you fighting in your marriage? And they would hesitantly admit, yes, we are. He said, good, good. All right, that's great. Because his theory was, if you're fighting, there's still hope. Once you've gone through the fighting and the argument and you stop fighting, stop talking, stop arguing, now it's a whole other issue. It is wrong to assume that unity in marriage suggests that there's no conflict or disagreement. In any relationship, valuable relationships, whether it's business relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a church relationship, listen, there are honeymoon periods. But after the honeymoon, reality sets in. And when reality sets in, it is true in every relationship, you are going to go through a storming stage. Before you ever hit norming, you're going to go through storming. And storming means you're going to all of a sudden discover you do some things different. You bring differences to the marriage. You bring different perspectives and different values. And all of a sudden, I realized that, that I didn't take care of my toothbrush the way Carrie thought that I should. And still to this day, I don't do it right. I still need prayer. Come on, will y'all pray for me? She just finally gave up on me. She said, I'll just take care of it from my own. <laughs> Listen, unity, you can have unity and yet have disagreement. There are things that you're going to disagree about. You're going to have conflict about. You're going to have lively discussions about. But I want you to know the most important thing is being committed to your relationship. And be more committed to the relationship and the marriage than you are winning the argument. Some of us are very self-absorbed, and it's all about, we think this thing's competitive. And men are sometimes the worst about this. We think, well, if we're, we're, we've got to win, because we're all about winning. We've got to win the argument, and we keep going until we sell it. We won. We think we're the champ of the discussion. And that's not godly, is it? Not at all. So I, I just want you to know that um, if we love each other, and if we have the Spirit of God, living on the inside of us as believers, I promise you, you are going to have disagreements despite that. It is natural to experience differences and disagreements. So the key to unity and harmony in marriage is not the absence of conflict, but it's a commitment to work it out together. Amen? James 1, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Amen? Amen? You can experience disagreement without contention. You reflect on that one? You can experience disagreement without being contentious. And that is a key. This is an assumption you should reject. Number four. I've heard this many times. This is particularly aimed at those of you who are in the pre-marriage place. 
praying in your spouse. Maybe you're already engaged. Many people will say this. Well, listen, I know that my spouse is this or that or isn't this or isn't that. But it's all right. Once we get married, it's all going to work out. He'll change. Oh, I know he's not sold out to Jesus now, but he says he's a Christian. He says that he's a Christian. And I know, I know I can pray him in. I've heard this before. I'll pray him in. I said, well, why don't you pray him in and get him straight before you get married? Because if you don't pray him in, you're stuck with him. There's such a thing that some people... Thank you, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. I know people who actually believe in evangelistic dating. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So you date someone to win them to Jesus. And then next thing you know, there's evangelistic courtship and so on and so on. That is, that is so far outside of God's plan for marriage. The Bible warns us, do not be unequally yoked. There's the scripture. Don't be unequally yoked. It's a principle. It's true in business. It's true in marriage. And it's not enough. Can I just say this? I just feel better getting this off my chest. All right. It's not enough just to say, well, they're a believer and I'm a believer. It ought to all be all right. There's a whole lot more to being on the same page and to being in harmony and being yoked together correctly than just saying we're both going to heaven. Because your background, your cultures, your values, those things are really what make the difference. And I challenge you to reject this false assumption. Number five. This assumption says, if my spouse would just change, I know my marriage would be fine. I know if she would just change. If he would just get it together, my marriage would change. Now, this is false on a number of fronts. But part of the problem is when you think, I did a seminar once called How to Change Your Husband. Packed out. Yeah. Now, you can hold a prayer seminar. You might have four or five people there. But you hold a seminar called How to Change Your Husband. You will be packed. All right. But everybody was real disappointed because I told them that the answer to changing their, their husband was to change himself. Then they got up and walked out. Nobody wanted to hear the rest of it. This is just a false assumption. Look what Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told us. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Plus, there's no, you, you don't know what it takes for someone to change. Oh my, some people have to get to low points before they wake up and go, okay, God, I'm surrendering. And so for you to think, oh, the key to my marital bliss, the key to my marital happiness is for simply my spouse to change. Most of the time, it takes change on many levels and definitely requires change on both parts. Amen to that. How many of you still need to change in your marriage? Can you raise your hand? Some of y'all need prayer for repentance here. Y'all are lying to me today. All right. I'm going to give you here as I close four lies. How many y'all believe the devil's a liar? If you want to strengthen your marriage, or you want to stop the slippery slide into divorce, 
first just check your thoughts and ask yourself this question. Are my thoughts and the way that I'm thinking about this, are they reflective of the secular culture I live in? Or does my thinking reflect what the Bible says about marriage? You may be surprised at how far secular culture has affected your thinking. I listed three sources of these lies. Number one is the devil himself. And let me tell you, he knows how to whisper lies into each ear. And the Bible talks about vain imaginations. And you better know how to pull down those lies. Because I've heard people say, I, I, don't, I really don't believe that my wife loves me. So why, why don't you think that? I, don't, I, just, I just keep hearing this. She doesn't love you. She doesn't love you. She really doesn't love you. I said, where do you think that whisper's coming from? I said, has she said she didn't love you? No, but I, I just keep hearing that. Come on. Just reject it. Don't listen to those lies. Uh, the second source, you have the devil speaking lies. And then secondly, sometimes we are simply self-deceived. We lie to ourselves and we buy into these lies. Some of these lies can be self-generated. And the fourth source is culture. The culture we live in. And I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not going to betray my message last week on praying for our nation. So I'm not going to go into depth about this. But I'm just going to tell you. The way our current culture views marriage today has drifted significantly away from the standards of Scripture. All right? So be careful that you're not listening to some lie that somebody on the radio or on TV or on a book or a magazine. I know people who develop marital views based on the, based on the headlines on, I don't even know what they call these uh, uh, tabloids, yes, that are at the grocery store when you check out. I know people develop marriage philosophy based on what they read on the front page of a tabloid. Well, no wonder we're having marriage issues, folks. Here are four lies, and I'll wrap up with this. Lie number one. Remember, it could come from any of those sources. Number one, my marriage is too broken and it's beyond hope. It's too far gone. I mean, you just don't know how bad things are for me. I've got, and on and on and on and on. All I want to say in a very quick answer is nothing is impossible with God. If you will do your part and you will let give God full reign over your marriage, my friend, he can fix it. He will redeem it. He will reconcile it. He'll bring it back together. He'll do whatever he needs to do. He will not override someone's will, but I'm telling you, he can put a lot of pressure on. A lot of pressure Come on, some of you men who have felt that pressure before. Y'all only me, Jezro, a few of us here, we felt that. Maybe our wives are praying that on us, we know. Anyway, so that's a lie. Everybody agree? All right, that's just a lie. Second lie, the lie says, we're just too different. You just don't understand how different we are. Since we've been married, we found out we're different. I want to say, well, it's your fault. You should have found that out before you got married. Did you, did you do any exploring into that before you got married? Well, we just knew it was the Lord. We just knew Jesus had brought us together. Oh, my. Don't have a clue. Listen, just on the surface between men and women, we're different. I know this is revelation to some of you, but we are different. I mean, some of us have marriage issues over the temperature in our houses, over... The beds we share. Yeah. 
I mean, I won't even go into any more. I'm just saying there are always going to be differences, all right? The differences should never destroy a marriage. In fact, I don't believe that differences destroy marriage. I think stubbornness will destroy a marriage. I think a decision to go the easy way will destroy a marriage. The real issue is not that you're different. The issue is how do you handle your differences? Lie number three. I've heard this before, and it's so sad. I've heard couples say, well, we decided, we decided that when we got married 12 years ago, we were outside of God's will. So it comes in different flavors. Some people say, well, you know, we didn't know Jesus. We got married, we didn't know Jesus. We weren't saved, we weren't born again. So there's no way we could have been in God's will. We, we got married. In fact, we, you know, we had premarital sex. We did all kinds of stuff. I mean, we, we couldn't have been in God's will. So therefore, our marriage must not be God's will. And wrong answer. Other people say, well, when I, when I married, I, I thought God was in the marriage. And I thought he led us to get married. But it has become evident to me in the last 10 years that, 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 that this marriage just is not blessed of the Lord. And God's just not in our home. I don't feel it. Well, you know, we don't do this. We don't do that. I'm just not feeling it. So I have concluded that because our marriage, in fact, some people will tell me God speaks to them. People have told me that the Holy Spirit has spoken to them and told them your marriage is outside God's will. What did I call these? Lies. I, I, I have, because I'm out of time, I've got to make it real short and to the point. Once you, once you get married, honey, you're in God's will. You just made it God's will. You say, how could that be? You just made it God's will. It's no different than a woman. I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but I, there's no different than a woman who becomes pregnant, it's an unwanted pregnancy, and she wants to, she's contemplating aborting the child. Now, I fully understand there's people in this room who have aborted children, and hopefully, you know, you've recognized that that wasn't right and received forgiveness for it. But in the same way that people ask the question, well, I just don't know whether this baby, James, I don't know whether it's God's will for me to have this baby. Once you conceive, once you conceive, it is God's will. But we conceived outside of marriage. Honey, I don't care. Once you conceive, it is now God's will. But God didn't speak to him that. I don't care whether you ever heard God or not. Once you conceive and that baby has been conceived, that child, unborn or not, is God's will. And if you take the life of that unborn child, my friend, that is disobedience and that is sin. And thank God there is grace to forgive it. But let us never compromise the truth. We married outside of God's will. I've got to end this marriage. I have seen people who didn't know Jesus when they got married. And they become the most happily married, God-honoring people you've ever seen. That is a lie. That is a self-absorbed lie, is what that is.
Finally, number four. The fourth one is, well, I just need to start over. This is a good one. I just need to start over. I think maybe there's a woman at my job. I, I think she might be the Lord's choice for me. I know y'all laugh and I hear this stuff all the time. I hear it all the time. I think she must be the Lord's choice. And if I started over, I think I could do it right this time. And I could lay the foundations right. I could do it God's way. We go to church together. We do all this stuff. Friend, that is another lie. I need to start over with a new partner or marriage. Remember what I said? Once you get married, listen, it may need fixing, but your marriage has become a covenant by your own decision. And God honored. I've even had people say, Ron, I've had people say, I, Pastor, I know this marriage can't be God. I said, why? They said, because we got married before a justice of the peace. And therefore, it could not be a godly marriage because we got married at the courthouse. We didn't get married at the church. So I know God's given me release from this marriage. We're going to file for divorce. Come on. God is in the courthouse. There is no place you can get married where he isn't. And he is superseding. He is right there transcendent over wherever you are as a couple. And you say, I do. And you get married. My friend, that is a covenant before God. I've made everybody mad now. I think I've got everything covered. So that's the fourth lie. I think you can see that there are both false assumptions that we have to reject. And there are lies that we must battle against in order for our marriages to fulfill God's plan. Would you stand to your feet? My time is up, but I do want to close with a word of prayer. Will's going to come and bless you after I pray this prayer. Our ministry couples and teams are going to come here to the front. There are those of you that need prayer, and particularly maybe I've uncovered stuff, and you say, man, we better get our marriage prayed for today. And that'll be just fine. Uh, So ministry teams, go ahead and get in position. I want to pray over marriages. There are many in our room right here. We've gone through failure in marriage. I believe that God is a redeemer. I believe he's a healer. I believe we just need to look to him. No matter what your background has been or what shape marriage is in today, Could we just agree to look back to the architect's plan? Can we agree to do that? Raise your hand if you say, I'm going to look at God's design for my marriage rather than the cultures. All right. Father God, I thank you that your plans are perfect. We thank you that marriage is a blessed thing, a holy thing, something that we can't just accept the next op-ed piece in the New York Times or the next TV reality show's viewpoints. We're going to go back to your blueprint. And we choose to adopt your blueprint for our marriages and our lives. Lord, there are marriages here today that need healing. There are marriages today that, that are working through things. There are marriages here today, some of them may be even right on the brink of throwing in the towel. So right today, we agree in Jesus' name that the power of healing, hope, hope is being instilled in them. 
Lord, I pray that their sense of being lost and hopeless and given up, Lord, that you'd change their mindset to be one that says that nothing is impossible with God. And Lord, give us broken hearts and give us lives that are ready to to go to the cross with our old man and to to do it the new way with the, the new creation living and breathing through us. So we pray blessings on every couple, every single person, every child. Help us to glorify you in our relationships. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful time of worship, giving in so many ways. I just want to send you out with a blessing that I heard so many times as a kid in church, and it's so meaningful to be sent out and to be blessed. The peace of the Lord, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and the Son of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Go forth, you're dismissed to be blessed. Thank you.